0: Hello and welcome to Accessible Theology, where our goal is to get into the scriptures so that together we can get the scriptures. I'm Michael Carlino,
1: And I'm Aaron Badorf. In our current series, we're gonna look at the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And we will discover that since Jesus has conquered the world, we too can be more than conquerors. Now, let's get accessible. On this episode, we are continuing in our series through the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, looking at what it means to be more than conquerors. Uh, This week, we look at the church in Sardis and just want to give uh, some brief background information uh, that is going to come up again in our our discussion, uh, as I think it has in, in every church thus far. Um, And specifically for Sardis, what we want to just say at the outset is uh, Sardis was captured twice. Uh, The dates on that would be 546 and 214. And we think that this has significance uh, for the words uh, to the churches because Sardis was captured uh, because of, um, I guess we could say laziness. Uh, They they were lulled to sleep. The the city of Sardis was built uh, and it was surrounded by cliffs. And they didn't think they had to protect those cliffs because they were uh, a protection in and of themselves. And so they let their guard down and they were not vigilant uh, to to guard those access points. And I think that's what we see happening to the church as well. Uh, They're lulled to sleep doctrinally uh, and they are they're letting their guard down and they're not being vigilant in guarding the good deposit that has been entrusted to them we do believe that they are still a church. However, they are not a faithful church. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through our uh, outline uh, that we've been using for all of the churches thus far, and we'll continue throughout this series. Uh, We're going to look at a relevant introduction, a penetrating evaluation, a corresponding exhortation, and a motivating benediction. Uh, So the first, then, is the relevant introduction. And it's interesting that This is a very, very brief introduction, but what we see is Jesus saying um, the seven spirits of God. He says in verse one, uh, to the church in Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So Michael, why why is this important? What is Jesus saying uh, and what is he meaning in these word pictures that he starts with?
0: Yeah, this will give a very
1: solid foundation for what is to come, understanding these
0: words well. First, we see who has the seven spirits of God. If you go back to Revelation 1, and we see this again, I believe it's either Revelation chapter 4 or 5, um, what we see is the seven spirits is a reference to the Holy Spirit, seven being a number of completion throughout the Bible. The seven spirits represents the the Holy Spirit is the is the ultimate we could say spirit is the is the foundation and he is himself god and and he is um one in one of the members of the godhead and that so what jesus is saying is the holy spirit has the power to awaken a dead church that's what i want to fundamentally say in terms of relevant introduction as we'll see here this church is um diagnosed as dead and dying by jesus mm-hmm. and so right from the beginning though we see the holy spirit has the power to revitalize a dying church which is key right. as 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 um someone who hopes to pastor in future church revitalization this is a foundational principle i need to have tattooed into my heart and soul yeah. going in is i'm not going to change the church ultimately it's the holy spirit who breathes life on dry bones as, we've seen as right. we see in ezekiel And so that's a foundational principle. But secondly, what we see is Jesus ends by saying, and the seven stars, which we know is a reference to the churches. And what I think we're seeing here is Jesus says, first of all, I think this is why we would say this is Sardis is included as a a church because he's Mm -hmm. writing seven churches. It seems to be somehow including them. But beyond that, we say that the number seven we mentioned is completion. We could say that Jesus has a complete knowledge of his church. He knows who who is true, who is not, which we'll see very explicitly in verse four. He knows that the very names of the people who are true in his church. So what we see is the power of God to change um, the direction of a dying church. And secondly, the fact that Jesus knows those who are his by name is a key component. So that's what makes this um, introduction relevant.
1: Yeah. And so they are in need of the life-giving power of the Spirit to wake them up, which is what we're going to look at a little bit more in the penetrating evaluation, which we see towards the end of verse 1, but also verses 2 and 4. And I think what's going on is is Jesus is saying to this church um, that they are Christians in name only. Uh, We call that today, modern language, nominal Christians. And so what, what's going on with this church in Sardis is exactly what Jesus says. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, those are some um, stinging words. And, and I think from this, we can see that, that Jesus can tell the real from what is the false reputation. And as we've, as we've looked at each church thus far, we keep coming back to the fact that Jesus knows his church. And, and this is both comforting and at, at times terrifying because he can see through the facade that we are trying to put up. Uh, and I think Sardis has a little bit of that facade going on where it looks like they're doing some good stuff. However, Jesus says, you have the reputation, but in reality, you are dead. So Michael, um, talk to us a little bit about uh, this, this word reputation, what's going on here. There's going to be some connections that we make. Uh, to this concept as we move forward. So why is this important?
0: Yeah, the word that is translated reputation in verse one, at least that's what is translated in the ESV that we are reading here. That word reputation is literally anoma in Greek, which is name, which is significant. We see the the, uh, name come up at least four times, if not five times in this passage. Alone, and even and this this is a little aside. I think if I remember right, nominal Christian you mentioned is mm. coming from anima. It's coming from name only. Oh, okay. In other words, if I if I remember correctly, um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's it's, what it's, I meant to do with that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You, you didn't even know what you were doing, but <laughs> <Yeah. it worked. laughs> So so it's important to mention those. Jesus is saying, you have a name for being alive, but you're actually dead, and that'll come up later when we tie it into the book of life. This is being juxtaposed with a true saint who later is said to be in the book of life, and that is their standing eternal reputation. So think about what Jesus is saying here is there's there's this church in Sardis, they're surrounded by Jews, and it seems like contextually they're not confessing the name of Christ because later we see that he says, I will confess the name of the saint or the conqueror before my father. What's significant about that is when we tie that into Matthew 10, I think it's verse 32, what we see is Jesus says there that if you, if we on earth confess the name of Jesus to the world and this hostility, he will confess our name to the father and his angels in heaven. What, what seems to be happening with Sardis, if we connect these thoughts together, is that this church is surrounded by Jews who are not forced to join in in Roman God worship, false worship. And so from the outset, the world might look at that and they might see this church not worshiping Rome and go, well, see, they're not like some of these other churches and joining in on the cult practice, but they might only be avoiding that because they're not confessing Christ. They might be synchronizing and acting like they're Jews and not proclaiming Christ to fit in. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's what a dead church does. That's what yeah. death looks like. And so to connect these thoughts, what we see is this church in desiring the reputation of life in this world is actually dead. And those who are willing, like the church in Smyrna, to be put to death for the sake of the name will have their name in the book of life. So what we see is this paradox and really comes down to asking the question, who do you believe? are you going to, are you going to believe when the world gives you the reputation of being alive or Jesus? Because this church to put it in maybe contemporary parlance might be a very programmatic church. It might be doing a lot of things. It might have a lot going on in the building throughout Mm. the week. It probably has a month, you know, they probably had a bunch of sports programs and all kinds (laughs) of other stuff going on in these church ministries, but just doing things is not enough. And what's important is Jesus and his penetrating evaluation says he says that they're to strengthen what remains and is about to die well what is it that's about to die well he says for because i have not found your works complete in the sight of god so again jesus is watching the church nothing escapes his holy judgment he Mm -hmm. knows his church well and he is seeing that many in this church that are connected with it are not true christians and when he says that their works are not complete, what he's saying is your motivations from the beginning have been misguided. You're, not, you're your motivation is not the glory of Christ. Your motivation is not, you know, faith and you know, love and good deeds, you know, spawning out of faith in Christ. It's not that. Instead, what it is, is it seems to be this desire to fit in with the world and they're compromising by not confessing Christ. They're just doing things without having the doctrine. So Sardis is in even a worse spot than the church of Ephesus that we started this series with, because Mm -hmm. unlike Ephesus, who was being called to do good works, like um, Sardis is here, at least Ephesus had doctrine. They were confessing Christ. They could tell the difference between truth and error. Sardis isn't. And so Jesus is saying you've compromised for the sake of the world's applause. And though the world might look at you and say, Oh, that church has a lot going on. Jesus says, no, you don't. And that's the penetrating evaluation that's happening. But a second part and the encouraging exhortation, Aaron mentioned, we'd also look at verse four is Jesus includes by saying, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me. So, what Jesus is saying here is not only does he know those who are fake, he knows the true. And yeah. we mentioned this last time, but we'd say this, if you're at a church that is um, a struggling church, or if you're going to help revitalize a church as a pastor, or maybe you're joining a pastor and going into a difficult situation to seek life and bring vitality to what was once dead. Jesus knows those who are his. He doesn't just throw out the whole church Uh, you know, without, without discrimination, he has the ability as the sovereign Lord to look over and know exactly those who are his. And as we said in the beginning, the Holy spirit, the spirit of Christ has the power to bring life back to a church, which is the hope of every church, the Holy spirit invite, you know, um, giving us life and enlivening our, our worship and the deeds that we do. And so the, the penetrating evaluation then is Jesus knows who are his, he knows who isn't, He is calling those who are not to to repent, as we'll talk about later and more so, but he's he's pointing out that their deeds are not being done from faith. They're being done, maybe it's more showmanship for the sake of the world than it is worship for the sake of Christ, and that Mm -hmm. is what's being exposed here.
1: Yeah, so, and then even along with that, in in discussing the names, as we finish out verse 4, it it says... um, you will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Now there's, we had talked, uh, I think about this, that there's this mother goddess worship going on in the city of Sardis. And John is writing specifically uh, referencing something that they would have understood in, in their culture, in, in their experience as they're reading this letter. Um, and it's maybe something that we miss because we, we, we're not familiar with this mother goddess. I don't remember what her name was, but... Cybele, I believe, or something like okay. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so as, as John is, is writing this and writing the words of Jesus, where he's saying to them, you have a few names in mm-hmm. Sardis, um, what, is, what is he referring to in, in the statement that they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy?
0: Yeah, so there's kind of a two-part fulfillment to that question. First, we mentioned the mother goddess Cybele, and in that context, the, the people in Sardis, in order to enter into the presence of the temple of this mother goddess, they would actually need to wear white robes to go in to signify mm-hmm. purity. Um, so that, that there's a, a very cultural context that, that's going on there. But beyond that, we see the white robes, even in the next verse are given to the victor who conquers in faith. White robes were often given to those who in the Olympics in that day or in sporting events or things like that would be given this white robe of victory. Um, and so this white robe represents purity. Uh, you know, we would connect this for example, too, with Colossians three, where Paul says to put off uh, the sin that, that's, that clings so closely kind of language that kind of to Hebrews 12 And then he ends by saying, and put on clothes of righteousness, which is good deeds. So really what's going on here is when Jesus is saying that the one who is worthy of him uh, that is clothed in white in this language, he's really saying these people are living in deeds of true righteousness, unlike those who are doing, who seem to be doing the good deeds, but have zero substance and aren't rooted in faith, those who are truly Christ. Are able to do deeds that are truly pleasing to the Father, and to connect yeah. that to Ephesians yeah. five one and two, uh, bring about a pleasing aroma before the yeah. Father because yeah. they're they're grounded in the in the righteousness of Christ, and so that's yeah. the fundamental thing that we see going on. So this exhortation is twofold. Then Jesus is telling those who are not doing deeds in in conjunction with faith to repent, to turn. Yeah. We see that in verse four, is it? Where's it? Three. It's three. He says, repent and wake up basically. And it's interesting. Jesus does use that language of I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I'll come against you. This connects back to Sardis's experience as well, being a place that was overrun by surprise. Uh, The Jewish historian Josephus mentions that at least one of the times that the city of Sardis was taken over, they were surprised by the highest point and what they thought the most impregnable point of their tower. That was Mm -hmm. where the enemy got through because they just thought this, this, this is where we can't be beaten. And that language that Paul uses, I think it's in first Corinthians 10 of be careful when you think you stand lest you fall becomes relevant here that as the church be very careful to, to not like put on this front that everything's going well, because when Jesus returns, all the facade will be exposed for what it is and uh Jesus is saying you'll want to be clothed in righteousness otherwise you'll be naked and exposed before the lord like adam and eve in in this sin and so we're being called to remember that and to press on in true faith and true repentance and true love for the lord jesus christ
1: yeah so that that will lead us then right into the corresponding exhortation so jesus has evaluated his church and he has said you are you are not being faithful um, and so he says you need to repent you need to wake up and strengthen what remains and he says he's 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 coming like a thief in the night uh, to to do what what he is going to do to this city in in evaluating them and and carrying on the the judgment that comes with that um, and so this is this is a crucial thing for us even to remember uh, to be able to evaluate our own lives, uh, to look at, you know, what it is that we are doing and whether or not we are being faithful uh, to what God has given to us in his word. Uh, So the exhortation, again, is just simply repent. And and Jesus leaves it there. (laughs) With every church that we've looked at so far, there's been a call to repentance. Um,
0: Let me me add something before we move on to the fourth point with that. uh, You reminded me that, you know, just as a word of application to, to listeners and to our own hearts, that um, we are going to be like Sardis tempted to compromise, not confessing Christ in this hostile world. Maybe that happens in family contacts with contacts with unbelieving family members, very likely could be happening at your workplace where it doesn't, where it's not welcome. And, sardis here is being condemned because they're not confessing the name of christ and we know from Mm -hmm. acts 12 that there is no name under heaven by which men are saved than that of the lord jesus christ the name the reputation of god which is manifest and revealed in christ and so we want to be very clear on this point that we are called to be faithful to confess christ wherever we are whatever capacity we can to share his name with those around us and this church is being is called dead because they are not confessing christ and that's a strong word to be remembered by us to take it to heart and to ask ourselves the this penetrating question that jesus poses to the church to ask are we living in deeds of faith and proclaiming the name of jesus and finding compelling ways to share him to those around us that will be judged by him in the end are we looking to do that or are we are we kind of fitting in like the Church of Sardis? We, we're okay not sharing Christ so we can they can kind of slide in and be considered Jewish or something like that? Are we are we finding ways to just be considered relevant and lovable by the world instead of being faithful to Christ? Because as yeah. we're told in the book of James, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Yeah. And we need to be very clear that if we desire, as we're going to talk about later, if we desire Christ to confess our name to the Father and to his angels, we must confess Christ on this earth. Right. And so we, we must be faithful to that. Not just not just out of fear of judgment. That is certainly a compelling motivation. Mm-hmm. But even more than that, out of a love and adoration and a joy that Jesus has overcome the world and we mm-hmm. can take heart in him and we love him because he is our only hope. That reality yeah. should spur and initiate in us and, and compel us to share Christ.
1: Yeah, and and I think one of the ways that we see that idea played out in this church specifically. Um, for the church in Sardis, there is no, there's nothing written to them. There's nothing that Jesus says to them about um, standing fast under persecution. And and it's possible that they are not being persecuted because they have nothing for which to be persecuted because they're not they're not being salt and light to the world. Um, and so <laughs> may we not fall into that same trap um and and have nothing for which the world would look at us and say that's that's against everything that i would um hold to so anyway that then leads us to the fourth and final point of the motivating benediction which we see in verse five and we see a few things uh, that those who conquer, and that, that's what we're basing this series off of, the, the conqueror promise that is given to each church. Those who conquer will be clothed in white garments, and uh, their names will not be blotted from the book of life, and Jesus will confess them before the Father. So there's, there's a lot of uh, good things, a lot of comfort that Christians can take from, from verse 5 here. So Michael, what, what, is, what exactly is going on in verse five? What are we to to take from and learn uh, from this motivating benediction that Jesus gives to the church in Sardis?
0: Yeah, so if you remember in our intro episode, actually, we talked about how to think about the conqueror word, Nikaio in Greek, or I think it's nikito here technically. Uh, but anyway, we talked about how do we think about That word, and we said we were like a 3.5 on the scale, meaning we were in between the idea that the the conqueror is something that a Christian is in Christ by faith, and then that that's that status we could say as conqueror in Christ leads us and compels us to latch on to these promises of conquering and to go forward. So it's kind of we would say a both and is what we were arguing for. So we are a conqueror and because we are a conqueror, we go and conquer. And yeah. that applies here in that we're told the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Well, if you look at Revelation 17:8, what we see there is we're told that the book of life was written and recorded from the foundation of the world, meaning to connect Mm -hmm. us with Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, those who were predestined to believe the gospel, the elect of God have their name written in the book of life from the foundation of of the world. So these few names that Jesus knows were written in this book of life from the very beginning. And Jesus is saying, because you are mine, press on and this name will be read aloud in the end. That's important. So we're saying then that it's not like Jesus is saying, I don't have a book yet. If you mm-hmm, just keep mm-hmm. on going, then yeah. I'll write your name. And we know from other passages, this book is already written. And yep. that is like, what we get from that is this thing of destiny. Like this thing of, if you know your name is destined to be read aloud in heaven, that should not lead you to be lifeless, to be passive. It should lead you to press on with full confidence that you will conquer. If you knew, like if you... it's kind of like if tom brady is your quarterback you know you're probably going to win the super bowl so you're gonna you're gonna go in fully (laughs) confident like all right we're gonna win this year because we got tom and and so it's like you you are your name if you're if you're with christ you are already destined for victory and that Mm. means you show up and you proclaim christ until the end confidently and you and you press into the conqueror promise so it's a both and your name is already written it will be read aloud So right now in that in-between stage, you grab that promise and you, uh, like Hebrews 10, 23 says, you hold fast to the confession of your hope, knowing he who promised is faithful. It looks like faithfully pressing into. no, And and this promise that Jesus will never blot the name out. Your name is written already. You have a confidence and an assurance that Jesus will read that name. And because of that, you launch forward with full expectation awaiting the day when you hear him read it aloud. Because he says... I will confess this name from the book to my father and hit to his angels. So a good way to close this discussion is to say this church in Sardis, the false ones that were connected, you know, tangentially to the church, they were, you know, thinking, well, we have a reputation, a name for being faithful, but Jesus says, you're really dead. Mm-hmm. And, paradoxically, those who are few in number, who do not have the greatest reputation in the church, who are being faithful to Jesus, those are the ones whose name will be read before the father and his angels and are counted worthy to to stand before him in heaven. And so this is an amazing promise to press into, to know that your name will be in this book and that Jesus will confess your name before the father Just as you right now, you confess his name in a hostile world because you have the hope that you will hear his name. And that when and when he reads your name from the book of life, you will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. And that'll be worth every trial, every hostility, every persecution, every suffering you endure in this life will be worth it at that point.
1: Amen and amen. Uh, And so, as we close out our discussion. Uh, on the church at Sardis. I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 to kind of wrap all of this up. It says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God." And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Sardis needed the spirit. The church today needs the spirit in order to live holy lives, separated from the world, uh, not uh, in love with the world. And as John says, when that happens, um, you are from God and you have overcome them. And so this overcoming promise, the conqueror promise that, that Jesus gives to the church is available to us today as well, knowing that uh, if we um, live by the Spirit, we will indeed hear Jesus say our name before the Father uh, and what comfort we can take from that. So may we uh, be awake to our need for the Spirit. May we be faithful to live uh, empowered by the Spirit and confess that Jesus is, is Lord Uh, and may that affect every area of our lives. Uh, And so we uh, want to just thank you for listening. If you have been encouraged by what you're hearing here on Accessible Theology, it would mean a lot to us if you would share it with a friend. And as always, we want to charge you to love God, know truth, and live accordingly.